Our reading this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 7. This Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. He met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings and blessed him. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. Then also king of Salem means king of peace. Without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God, he remains a priest forever. Just think how great he was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now the law requires the descendants of Levi who become priests to collect a tenth from the people, that is, from their fellow Israelites, even though they are also descended from Abraham. This man, however, did not trace his descent from Levi, yet he collected a tenth from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. And without doubt, the lesser is blessed by the greater. In the one case, the tenth is collected by people who die, but in the other case, by him who is declared to be living. One might even say that Levi, who collects the tenth, paid the tenth through Abraham, because when Melchizedek met Abraham, Levi was still in the body of his ancestor. If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law given to the people established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? For when the priest is changed, the law must be changed also. He of whom these things are said belong to a different tribe, and no one from that tribe has ever served at the altar. For it is clear that our law descended from Judah, and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest, not on the basis of a regulation as his to his ancestry, but on the basis of power on an indestructible life. For it is declared, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. Others became priests without any oath. But he became a priest with an oath when God said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. Because of this oath, Jesus became the guarantor of a better covenant. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing office. But because Jesus lives forever... He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins, and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their their sins once for all 
when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests men in all their weaknesses, but the oath which came after the law appointed the Son, who has been made perfect forever. Thank you, Lord, for these words. If, in the unlikely events that on your travels you visit the South Pole, and you enter the region of 90 to 150 degrees in West Antarctica, then you may find that you've entered the region of the dominion of Melchizedek, a dominion which also lays claim to disputed regions in the Pacific area. The the dominion of Melchizedek identifies itself as an ecclesiastical sovereign nation-state, akin to the Vatican. It's had diplomatic recognition from the Central African Republic, Burkina Faso and Nigeria, apparently. It was founded in 1986 and claims to have been declared by NBC to be the first nation on the internet. You can apply for citizenship of this micronation by completing the online application form and sending it off with two passport photos, your birth certificate and a donation. But reports that the Kingdom of Melchizedek is linked to large-scale bank fraud in many parts of the world may deter, I hope, most of you from doing so. Bizarre speculations about Melchizedek are nothing new. 2,000 years ago, the community responsible for the Dead Sea Scrolls saw themselves as the inheritance of Melchizedek, whom they saw as an angelic figure who would carry out God's appointed vengeance and deliver them from the hand of Belial. Melchizedek, who is he? Why is his name associated with such strange ideas? And what is Hebrews on about? The character of Melchizedek has a a walk-on part in the book of Genesis. Chapter 14, Abraham has just rescued his nephew Lot after he'd been captured in a local tribal war. Abraham defeats the enemies of the king of Sodom, and after he's done so, the king of Sodom comes out to meet Abraham, and suddenly Melchizedek appears out of nowhere, identified as the king of Salem and priest of God Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And he produces bread and wine and blesses Abraham, saying, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, creator of heaven and earth, and blessed be God Most High, who delivered your enemies into your hand. That said, Abraham gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything he owns, and then this enigmatic character simply vanishes again, only to crop up once more in the obscure and difficult Psalm 110 which in verse 4 says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Who's he talking to? The writer of the psalm, traditionally identified as David, says right at the beginning, The Lord says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. So whoever it is that sits at the right hand of the Lord, David's Lord, until his foot, enemies were footstool for his feet, is identified as being a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, according to God's unchanging decree. 
Now that footstool verse was a proof text frequently used by early Christians with reference to Jesus, who after his ascension was thought to be seated at the place of honour at God's right hand until all his enemies were placed under his feet. It's cited probably at least 25 times in the New Testament, and Hebrews quotes it at the end of chapter 1, where the verse is used to demonstrate how much superior Jesus is to all the angels. Now in chapter 7, Hebrews wheels in this prophecy from Psalm 110, verse 4, and applies the promise that you will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek to Jesus. Now Hebrews actually has been building up to this point pretty much since the start of the book. In the end of chapter 2, the idea of Jesus being high priest is first mooted, but the writer to the Hebrews spends the intervening four chapters basically telling his readers to buck their ideas up and pay attention. Having referred to Melchizedek at the end of chapter 5, at last in chapter 7, he explains how the character of Melchizedek points to Jesus. And on the basis of this prophecy in Psalm 110, justifies the claim that Christ is a high priest, even though he wasn't descended from Levi, who was the father of all the priests in the nation of Israel. Basically, the aim of this chapter is to establish Jesus as the one and only legitimate high priest in the sight of God, thereby effectively dismissing the validity of all the priests who served in the temple of Jerusalem and all the high priests who had been before him. The high priest of Christ is an upgrade compared with all previous versions. All previous versions are incompatible with this new upgrade and effectively means they have been phased out. From now on, God is exclusively but easily available to everyone through the one and only high priest who lives forever and ever, Jesus Christ, his son. And when you superimpose what the Bible says about Jesus with that kind of fragmented picture of Melchizedek you get in the Bible, and you superimpose one on the other, it all begins to make a bit more sense. Melchizedek's name means king of righteousness. That's the translation of it. He is identified in Genesis as king of Salem, which means king of peace. Who is Jesus but the king of righteousness and the king of peace? Like many other parts of the Old Testament, you find lists and lists and lists of family trees, and Genesis is no exception, but Melchizedek doesn't feature in any of them. He simply appears and disappears. Hebrew says it's like he has no father and mother, as if his life has neither beginning nor end. A bit like the Son of God, perhaps, in his eternal reign. And though Hebrews doesn't make anything much of this, really, Melchizedek, when he meets Abraham, brings bread and wine to the occasion. Does that remind you of anybody? And Melchizedek blesses Abraham. So what, you might ask? Well, the point is that in that culture, the one who blesses is greater than the one who is blessed. So Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. Well, says Hebrews, look at who blesses whom. Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek. As great as Abraham undoubtedly was, the forefather of the Jewish nation, claimed uh, by the Muslims as, as their ancestor as well. But look, Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek. As great as Abraham undoubtedly was, Melchizedek is greater. Christ is even greater than Abraham, he says. 
Abraham gave him a tenth of everything he owned, for goodness sake. So look at his spiritual authority. All God's people had to pay tithes and offerings to the sons of Levi for the upkeep of the temple. But Levi was Abraham's great-grandson, so it's as if Levi was still in Abraham's loins when Abraham gave his tithe to Melchizedek. So all the, the people give tithes to the sons of Levi, but they, in Abraham, gave tithes to Melchizedek. He is up there. There is no one superior to him in terms of priesthood. He moves on to that verse from Psalm 110. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What was that order? Well, no one knows for sure, but Melchizedek was a king and a priest. And the Old Testament was pretty strict on keeping kings and priests quite separate. You didn't merge the two together at all. King Uzziah, when he took it upon himself to enter God's temple and burn incense like a priest, was struck with leprosy on his forehead because you just didn't do that. Authority in the temple was one thing, authority over the nation was another. But Melchizedek, king of righteousness, king of peace, is also a priest forever, says God. And in him and him alone, kingship and priesthood are combined. And Hebrews says that you need a priest like that because the point Hebrews wants to make is that the existing priesthood really wasn't fit for purpose. If it had been up to the mark, says Hebrews, there wouldn't have been any need for a new order of priests to be established. But as it is, after the law is put in place, God comes in with his vow and says, somebody will be a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And the need for a new priesthood means that the old one actually isn't doing its job properly. And if the old priesthood goes, that means as well that Christ dispenses with the whole Old Testament sacrificial order, because that was run by the descendants of Levi, and if they go, the law and the sacrificial system go as well. Think about it, says Hebrews, the sacrificial prescriptions of the Old Testament never made anyone perfect. In terms of delivering the goods, they failed. Jesus is the one who brings perfection. But the old system, because it didn't bring perfection, was weak and useless. That was unpalatable, controversial, uncompromising stuff. What Dr. Beecham did for branch lines on the railways back in the 1960s, Hebrews does for the whole Old Testament sacrificial system. It is surplus to requirements. And he's writing this too his readers, wherever they are, because there were some who kind of felt, even though they believed in Jesus, they couldn't let go of the old stuff. Because all those Old Testament laws had been foundational to their national and religious identity for so long. And life was getting sticky and difficult and hard for Christians. Because for some extent they kind of been sheltered under the umbrella of Judaism. And and, and Romans were quite tolerant about known religions, but Christianity was something new. And if if Christianity could be perceived as being kind of a different version of Judaism, then they weren't going to get too much grief. But once Jewish Jewish people started to say, well, you're you're nothing to do with us because we don't believe in the Messiah, Christians began to feel themselves out on a limb and no longer under the umbrella of Judaism. And people started to say, well, if you're not Jews... If you're not worshipping that religion, then you, start to, you need to sacrifice to the emperor. 
And that was something they weren't prepared to do. So for a lot of Christians, it was tempting. So actually, we we, we still are really under the umbrella of Judaism, and there's nothing different between us and and all the other people who don't believe in Jesus. And Hebrews says, well, no, actually, Jesus is the be-all and end-all. And you need to decide who it is that you're going to belong to, where your allegiance lies. And you know what it's like. When life gets difficult, it's always a temptation to go back to what you know and what you're comfortable with. Because the past is actually relatively secure compared with a future that can be unstable and threatening. Hebrews was written to people who attempted to cling on to the past because it looks so much safer and more secure than the future. But there is no future in holding on to the past. Last weekend, the BBC published some of the most outstanding mistakes of all time. And coming at number eight was Sir William Priest, chief engineer of the General Post Office, who in 1876 said, the Americans have need of the telephone, but we don't. We have plenty of messenger boys. Clinging on to the past is a way of losing contact with the future. And for the writer of the Hebrews, those who clung to the past way of doing things were in danger of missing out on the new thing that God was doing. The old priestly order, the sacrificial laws, all that stuff in Leviticus belonged to the past because God had now appointed Jesus forever as a priest after the order of Melchizedek. His appointment was confirmed with an oath. His credentials were impeccable. He alone can be a priest forever because he lives forever. Death has no hold on him. Every other priest who preceded him was unable to stay in office forever because sooner or later every single priest died. But Christ's priesthood is permanent because it's founded on the power of an indestructible life. And as any good priest should, Jesus spends his time praying for us. The one who lives forever always lives to make intercession for us. That's how he spends eternity, praying for you and me. And it's because he does that that it's one of the reasons why he's able to save us to the uttermost. Your future salvation is 100% guaranteed for eternity because Jesus, as your high priest, is alive forever and ever, and he has inaugurated a new covenant that cannot be broken. That's what Hebrews goes on to explain in chapters 8, 9, and 10. But for now, he lingers over Jesus as our high priest. Look at him, he says. Look at how he meets our needs. He is holy. He is innocent. He is faultless. He is honoured above every other being in heaven. That is why he is uniquely qualified to help us, because he is our perfect high priest and his appointment lasts forever. That's why the salvation he brings comes with an eternal guarantee. He is uniquely and supremely qualified to hold your eternal future in his hands. And the future always looks scary to us because it's unknown. But the one who holds that future in his hands and the one who will hold and sustain you through it is Jesus.
And if you trust him, if you entrust your life to him, he is the one who will keep you safe because by the power of his indestructible life, he is able to save those who belong to him to the uttermost. As we get older, it's always a temptation for us to live more and more in the memories of the past. Hebrews says, don't do that. Keep looking to the future and moving towards the future because the future is Christ's. And he is your high priest and he guarantees your salvation. He is the one you need to take your bearings from. He is the one who determines your true identity. He is the one whose word you need to believe. Make him the foundation of your life, here and now and forever. Because he is a high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. Let's pray. Lord, all that is obscure and difficult for us to get to grips with because we don't know very well all the laws that were so important to the people that Hebrews was writing to. But Lord, you understand our weakness and our confusion and our uncertainty. Help us to trust you. Give us your peace. And in our weakness, would you keep hold of us and guide us safely into and through an uncertain future and bring us at last into your presence where we see you face to face and all our questions and uncertainties are gone. Strengthen our faith and enable us to put it entirely in you because you are entirely faithful.